Welcome back to another episode of the Weekly Driver Podcast. My name is James Rea. I'm an automotive writer for Bay Area News Group, and I edit and publish the website, theweeklydriver.com. My co-host and friend is Bruce Aldrich, and today we have on as a guest Danny Shapiro, who is the Senior Director of Automotive for NVIDIA. And Danny, um, welcome to our podcast. We have a lot to cover. Um, It seems like every five minutes I read something new about autonomous driving and 5G and the world in which we live in and the automotive space is just changing all the time. So welcome to our podcast. Thank you. It's really great to be here. And you're right. The, the whole transportation industry is going through a massive transportation transformation. And it's, it's a function of AI, it's a function of software, and it's a function of bringing supercomputing uh, into the vehicle. I would think that that's, uh, I'm sure it's over my head, but I'm going to try to learn today as much as I can. Uh, could you just give us an overview, um, if you can do it, uh, in, I guess, layperson's terms? What is NVIDIA and what does it encompass? What is the umbrella of the, the company or the organization? Well, NVIDIA is a, is a large company that uh, up until recently, really was not very well known, I would say. And we develop a lot of technologies that are used by other computing companies. And so we started out as uh, a company doing 3D graphics and making graphics cards so people could play video games. And so you would buy a Dell or an HP and there would be NVIDIA inside. And then we moved into professional workstations in the data center, again, creating the foundational technologies for computing and inventing something called the GPU, which is the graphics processing unit um, that is a highly parallel processor that accelerates all types of computation. And now our customers include companies like Google and Amazon and Microsoft who build out their massive data centers um, with NVIDIA technology. And so if you talk to Siri or you talk to your OK Google devices, on the back end, it's NVIDIA GPUs that are figuring out using artificial intelligence what you're saying and to be able to deliver the results back to you. So our, our products span everything from consumer electronic devices like tablets and PCs to workstations to supercomputers and data centers. But also now we have a group that's been around for over 10 years that is developing technology that goes into cars and trucks and and now this new class of autonomous vehicles uh, that are robo-taxis, so no steering wheels or no pedals. And so we are an accelerated computing company that does all types of things, but for the purpose of this call, we're powering this new revolution of autonomous vehicles. NVIDIA makes GPUs, they make hardware, as I understand it, and the do-right software, in fact, you guys even have a uh, software that is a virtual world so that other software makers can test their products in the virtual world, I believe. You'll correct me if I'm wrong. But for the most part, you're relying on outside software sources to use your equipment. Is that right or wrong? Yeah, and you raise a really good question. And so we develop what I would call platforms, and it is hardware and software. In fact, we probably have twice as many software engineers in the company as hardware engineers because there's just a massive amount of software that needs to be developed. And 
In the case of an automobile, we have our drive OS, which is the operating system. There's all kinds of algorithms and libraries that are used for perception, for mapping, for planning and control. But the actual application, you're right, is usually written by our customer, um, how a Mercedes drives, how it accelerates, um, how it uh, reacts, um, will be code that sits on top of our software, but is written by our customer. If you think about in the video game space where we started, NVIDIA doesn't make the video games, but NVIDIA makes the hardware and writes all the software libraries that the video game makers use. So the graphics, the rendering, the shadows, the ray tracing, all of these technical innovations we bring to market, we make available to our customers. And that way they can differentiate, they can build incredible products that otherwise they wouldn't have been able to do without NVIDIA. I see. And one of your uh, chief problems, I think, is, well, there's a lot of problems to overcome to, to make an autonomous car work, but uh, you need to keep it safe and keep the data safe, right, and, and keep hackers out of it. How, how, how big of a problem is that? Well, safety is a really big concern. It's really our number one priority. So safety means a lot of different things. Um, at, at the base level, what we're doing is making cars safer, making the people on our roads safer, whether they're in an autonomous vehicle that's powered by NVIDIA Drive or outside. And so what that means is having a massive amount of processing to interpret the sensor data. These cars have cameras, they have radar, they have LIDAR, which is like a laser scanner, and they're interpreting the environment. Um, and what that means is we take a, a picture with a camera in a fraction of a second, and then the NVIDIA Drive computer needs to figure out where there are cars, where there are trucks, where there are pedestrians, where the lane markings, where the signs. It's everything that a human brain has to do, but now we're using artificial intelligence to do that. And so all of that gives us the ability to have 360-degree perception about everything that's going on around the car. And we do this 30 times a second. So we can have superhuman powers of perception and be able to guide the vehicle much safer than a human. Plus, the computer doesn't get distracted. It doesn't get drowsy. It's not, uh, it, it's not ever drinking. So it's going to be a much safer vehicle. Your question about cybersecurity, of course, is very important. If you have connected cars, um, there's the potential for them to get hacked. And so what we do now is we're bringing cybersecurity into the vehicle, the kinds of technologies that are used in the data center, um, things like encryption, um, using virtualization, which is to segment different parts of the computer so that if there is a connected part, it's separate from the other part that would maybe be making the driver uh, safety critical uh, decisions. And so there's a lot of ways that we're able to prevent hacking as opposed to uh, what's happened in the past in some cases where vehicles have been on the road without any kind of real cybersecurity put in place. We do it at the base, at the chip level, at the board level, and inside the software. Wow, that's a mouthful. I, I appreciate that the, the GPUs don't drink or get tired. That's, that's a good one. <laughs> that's good. Um, I'm wondering what the... Uh, 
there's a lot of numbers to be crunching and there's a lot of uh, data that needs to be checked, right, uh, for all these sensors to compare the real world versus whatever they're learning, the, the, the deep learning and all this stuff that I don't really understand. But that's all done and 5G will, will help facilitate this because all the data is in the cloud? Well, you know, actually, that, that's a common misconception. Um, what we do Good. is... Let, really yeah, let's hear it. Phases. There's really two phases um, to, to deep learning. The first is called training. And think of it, it's, it's like you know, a child going to school. When a, a, a new child, new baby, doesn't know um, anything until they're taught. And you could um, show them uh, a picture of something or give them a toy and they have no idea what it is and you have to teach them what it is and then they learn, they remember. So in AI, the first stage is training. And so if we wanted to teach um, a computer system how to recognize stop signs, there's two ways to do that. The old way was you wrote a program and you would look at all the pixels in a picture and you would analyze them and you'd figure out what were the red pixels. And what was the shape? And did it have white letters that said S-T-O-P on it? And so you'd have to write a lot of code to make that work. Instead, in deep learning, what we do is we train a deep neural network, which is really modeled after the human brain and the neurons and synapses in the brain. And instead of having to write a program, we give the system data. And so we'd feed hundreds of thousands or maybe millions of pictures of stop signs that were taken from all different angles and in all different um, environments. Sometimes they might have trees blocking part of them. And we do it at all times of day and in different weather conditions. And so the system learns from this data how to recognize a stop sign. So once we've trained it, then we can test it and validate it before we would put it into a car. And so we're able to analyze the results, and that stage is called inference. So inside the car now, if we show it a frame of video, it can instantly detect is there a stop sign in the scene or not. And we can check the accuracy of that. And so this is this process of training and constantly retraining and enhancing AI algorithms. Just like a child and adults continue to learn, the AI software can continue to get better and better over time. And so with 5G, that gives us the ability to update the software easier in the vehicle. People can, of course, use their Wi-Fi in their garage, but cars, just like their phones, will get software updates that make them better and better over time. The other aspect of 5G is we can use that to now bring data into the vehicle uh, in a faster and more reliable way. So we can get traffic information or weather information or potentially even other data from other vehicles or infrastructure to help guide the car. But the actual decisions that the car will make in real time have to happen on board the car. Right? Time is too critical. We can't rely on an outside connection to the cloud to decide if there's a pedestrian crossing the street. So all of that has to happen using the supercomputing on board, taking the sensor data, processing it in a fraction of a second, and then controlling the accelerating or braking. Danny, I'll, I'll, follow, I'll follow that up and, and bring it back into, you know, the average person. I'd say average is an unfair term, but let's say the average uh, car consumer, and I'm looking through some of the companies that you're working with, and I thought it would be a good time to mention Volvo and Mercedes-Benz 
and uh, BMW, right? BMW and uh, Faraday Future, which is a you know an interesting company. But the one that sticks out to me is when we we were with you guys. Um, gee, it seems like it's been an, an eternity now. It was just a few years ago when we were at the um, live presentation. There was a company there named Too Simple, and uh, mm-hmm. Bruce and I went up and met. Uh, the gentleman who was representing the company, and it was so far into the future for me that I I didn't even wasn't able to even wrap my uh, thoughts around it. And that was the the autonomous trucks that were at that time starting out, going up and down Interstate Five, and they were doing some testing. I think in the middle of the night, not to scare people, so if somebody a, a truck went by with nobody driving it, if people didn't drive off the road. So I guess my question is from from two or three years ago now, moving forward. Uh, that company and others, is it is it so far advanced in the last two or three years, or are we still in the kind of testing, let's check this out mode of different companies, whether it's Mercedes, Volvo, or this relatively new company with uh, trucks, too simple? You raise a really, really good point in that in addition to moving people around, there's the need to move goods. And yes. we're seeing a, a huge growth of companies, whether it's long-haul trucking, um, last-mile delivery, or even, you know, in type in uh, different geofenced areas, meaning like in shipping yards or factories or warehouses. And so yes. there's been a large growth of um, autonomous development. Too Simple's a great company. Um, they're a global company. They're, they're relatively small, but they're now working with a lot of truck makers. And so they've developed the technology um, to put those same kind of sensors on big rigs. So you have the cameras, you have radar, you have LIDAR. So the, the concept is the same. They're, they're scanning a full 360 environment. They're understanding um, the roadway, the lanes, the signs, the traffic, pedestrians, and able to actuate the vehicle to, to press the accelerator, the brake, or the steering wheel to safely move the vehicle through um, all types of environments. And so too simple, you're right, it's working with the U.S. Postal Service, they're working with UPS, they have many other customers, and they're automating routes um, across the country um, that, you know, there's a constant flow of of goods. Uh, We work with uh, Volvo Trucks as well, um, and, and many, many others. There's a lot of startups, and they all are trying to solve the same problem. And they're all building on NVIDIA Drive to do that. And it's, uh, it's going to make our roads much safer. It can be scary to some at first, um, but the technology is very robust. And it's, like I mentioned before, it doesn't get distracted. So many accidents, injuries, fatalities are caused by human error. And these computers will, will make the roads much safer. This is um, uh, probably a cheap analogy here, but... I do remember the movie AI, and it had robo-taxis in it, and it was, what, 25 years ago, 20 years ago? And um, are you sick and tired of that reference, or is it okay to mention that movie? And, and was uh, it, on any level, was it re- a reality? No, I, I think the, the concept of AI has been around for many, many decades. And the, the desire to have a computer that can think like a human uh, has been out there in science fiction for a long time. The transformation is that it doesn't require the supercomputing in the device that it used to require, but instead the GPU, our parallel processor, 
has allowed devices to be able to do this kind of calculation now in real time. And think about it as you know, parallel processing the GPU um, differs from a CPU, the central processing unit that a lot of people know about and has, has been um, in a lot of devices over the years. The CPU does things in sequence or serially in a line. So think of it as having like a lane of traffic and the cars going down that road are the data. Um, a GPU is a parallel processor. So instead of a single core, even a dual core, quad core, you've maybe heard this in your laptop, instead of two lanes or four lanes, the GPU has thousands of lanes. So imagine a freeway with thousands of lanes. Wouldn't that be great if 101 had a thousand lanes? Imagine how fast you could get sure. from San Jose to yes. San Francisco. And so the GPU has enabled this revolution that's brought about AI to all kinds of devices, whether um, in uh, a mobile phone or at the edge in robotics, cars, or even you know, a lot of AI processing in the data center. And so that, that's really the key. Um, we're still in the very early stages of this. There's a lot of development work to be done. Um, we have all kinds of um, voice assistants you know, at our GPU technology conference, um, which kicked off this past Monday. We announced yes. all kinds of AI systems for um, natural language processing for real-time captioning, real-time translation, being able to have avatars. So in virtual worlds, um, it will track your head movements and your voice and be able to animate an avatar of you in a virtual space. Um, so there's just so many applications of AI. Self-driving is just one of them. We have our healthcare group that's working with the medical community um, to use artificial intelligence to discover new drugs and accelerate all the types of, of testing that used to be so challenging. It's now done a lot of it in simulation and using AI to find the right drug compounds to, to fight COVID and, and other disease. So it's, the applications are enormous. Sure they are. Uh, Danny, I was wondering, what's the weak link now as far as autonomous cars? Is it the lack of data? The processing of the data, the sensors, what, what do you, if you could snap your fingers and go ahead on one of those areas, what, what's, what's fallen behind or what needs to be improved? Everything? Well, the challenge really is, is that it, the world is unpredictable. And every day you read about something crazy going on some in the world, a lot of it down in Florida, but uh, stuff happens <laughs> sure. on the road so sure. you can't predict. And so if we have um, certain environments that we can control, and that's where you see um, geofenced areas. So maybe at a, uh, at a port or on a college campus with fixed routes or um, in construction environments or mining, we see autonomous vehicles already being utilized and in production. And it's because the risk has been reduced. There might not be people walking around. There could be you know, airport shuttles going from terminal to terminal, things like that. Um, but on our public roads, there's just a lot of irrational behavior sometimes caused by humans. I think if we were to replace all cars with autonomous cars, we could do this switch instantly and reduce all accidents virtually down to zero. But the fact that we're going to have this mix of self-driving cars and human driving cars, um, there's still risks out there. We can't prevent somebody from hitting our self-driving car. We can just prevent our car from doing harm. And so the challenge is to be able to 
account for all these what we call edge cases or corner cases. What's the really crazy thing that could happen on the road? We need to make sure that our autonomous vehicle can handle that. And so we're using simulation to do that. We can create it's almost like a video game. Um, we're simulating the real world. It's a digital twin of the real world. And we can introduce all kinds of dangerous situations um, and hazards onto the roadway to test that our hardware and software can properly drive the vehicle. And so we're right now working with a lot of different companies. We're working with government agencies to, to try to put together a virtual driver's test for the autonomous vehicle to ensure that it can drive safely in, in all conditions. So there's a lot of work still to be done to make sure that it can handle um, dark streets without street lights and kids in dark clothing running out into traffic, right? We want to make sure we can handle those corner cases to ensure a bad outcome doesn't happen. Danny, the, the, the follow-up that I'll have is something that I've asked and Bruce has asked as well in, in other podcast episodes. And if it's a little bit too simplistic, I, I apologize in advance. But if we look back at um, hybrid vehicles, as an example, and when uh, Toyota came out with the Prius and just before that, the Honda Insight, and now we have um, many hybrid vehicles and electric vehicles, but yet the public really hasn't grasped on in terms of the percentage of those vehicles that have been purchased, whether it's the game changer of Tesla or others that are on the horizon, um, Rivian and, and others. How is the public... Or how, how can you predict if the public will eventually, whether it be in my lifetime or Bruce's lifetime or your lifetime, um, the public will accept this as not only the, the way of the future, but the way of now and, and uh, educating the public that, mm -hmm. that this is a good thing? Sure. Well, I think, I think everyone can agree that um, reducing the, the number of people that are injured or, or killed on our, our roadways um, is, is important goal. And so, yes, of course. Um, the, the, I think the, the thing that's hampered some of the, um, the trends that you talked about in the past you know, has been cost. Right? You introduce new technologies and they, they're expensive to develop. They may have new technologies that aren't in volume production. And so, you know, a battery for a car is expensive. The hybrid systems in the cars are expensive. And so you do have, in some cases, um, government entities that are stepping in to make them more affordable. And that has certainly helped, helped sales of those vehicles. But I think this is, is different. Um, this is technology that will make the roads much safer. Um, it will give people back time. If you don't have to drive um, to work each day, but can be driven to work each day, that's a great convenience. And um, that's, that's a value to people. And so I think they will embrace that. Um, if you could automatically be driven from San Francisco to Los Angeles and get work done, and so maybe it's easier than flying, right? So I, I think there'll yes. be a lot of, of personal um, conveniences. There will be a lot of uh, cost savings that people will have, and time, which is very valuable, will be given back. If you can um, have your kids be driven to soccer practice by a self-driving car, um, that will be a great benefit. It's going to give mobility to those that can't drive. Maybe people who are too old to drive anymore will have mobility. So there's so many benefits of self-driving vehicles um, that I think we'll see adoption grow very fast. 
Um, for people who have never experienced it, there's obviously concerns. Um, they could be afraid of the technology. But my experience has been once people have a ride in a self-driving vehicle, um, all it takes is one, and they're really transformed in terms of what their perceptions are and the safety of it. Sure. Thank you. Perfect explanation. I hadn't thought about half the things you said, so thank you for that. What do you think the legislators are are thinking of autonomous cars now? Three or four years ago, I'm not sure what they were thinking. Are they are they warming up to it? Uh, absolutely. I think um, you know data is really important here, and to be able to show that a self driving car is safer than a human is is key. As I mentioned before, sure. it, it, it's it'll be impossible really to get the number of accidents on the road down to zero, especially when you have humans that are still driving with these other vehicles. And so if you think about air travel, um, it's, it's taken time over decades for that to grow, but it's not a hundred percent perfect. There are still occasional accidents. Um, people fly every day. And so our goal is to target that zero accident, zero fatalities, but um, it will be, it, it's a long road to get to that, that goal. Um, from the government standpoint, we will be able to show how much safer these types of vehicles are as compared to human-driven cars. And I think we'll see legislation that will allow them. It'll be different in different parts of the world, um, but that's to be expected. But we will see um, more and more opening up of roadways for this technology. Now, there's many different levels of automation, and so some of these cars will have these uh, AI systems, but there's still a driver behind the wheel. But they'll be monitoring what you're doing. Um, you'll be able to have different modes you can put the car in. Even though you're still responsible, that car is going to be a much safer car because the AI is looking at and protecting and warning you or maybe correcting you uh, if you're about to make a mistake. I see. What does NVIDIA think of uh, Tesla's self so-called self-driving system is it pretty uh i don't know you tell me is yeah, it is efficient it, is, is it, it good or is yeah. it is it yeah. forgive me is, so, is it, is it anti by... antiquated probably huh well no I, I think i mean so tesla's first real autopilot was built on nvidia and so we we were oh, it was okay with them yeah and so i didn't um, when know they that launched okay the model s they launched the Model S that was all NVIDIA technology, driving the touchscreen, driving the instrument clusters. So they're an early customer of ours, and, uh, and they make a great product. Um, Elon is an incredible visionary, um, but he also is fanatical about vertical integration. And so he's gone off now, and he's developed um, his own hardware specific for his car. I think the thing that is common between Tesla's approach and NVIDIA's approach is AI is at the core. Supercomputing is paramount, and you have this central computer inside the car that's processing all that sensor data, making driving decisions, and then the software gets better and better over time. So I think what, what they've built is quite remarkable. Um, I drive one every day. I love it. It, it drives me every day. And so uh, <laughs> there you and go. It, gets, it, gets, it gets software updates. Um, and so they, in fact, are a pioneer. But what we see now is the market realizing this is a, um, a technology strategy and a business model that's unique, and they're all adopting that. So the announcements we've made with companies like Mercedes-Benz, who is going to outfit their entire fleet with NVIDIA Drive and make their cars software-based, uh, 
will basically have those same um, features, capabilities, and upgradability, which is key. Your car will get better and better over time as opposed to just depreciating, which is what traditional cars have done since they were invented. Uh, Companies like Volvo uh, using NVIDIA Drive. Um, There's all kinds of car companies in China that we've never heard of here in the States um, that are very big in China, and they're all using NVIDIA Drive. So companies like NIO or Li Auto or Xpeng um, are EV companies that are, are basing their car around the technology first and then building a car around that as opposed to adding some technology uh, to an existing vehicle. I figured uh, China would have their own software, their whole everything, but at least they're right now they're with, with you guys. That's good. Yeah, there's, there's, there's companies in Japan, in Korea, in, um, uh, in Vietnam. We just announced a new customer called VinFast, which is the leading automaker um, in Vietnam. And throughout Europe, um, it's, it's really a, it's a global challenge. Uh, and it's, it's rare to find a company that has the hardware and the software and the data center side for the training as well. And so that's why they turned to NVIDIA. Our platforms are open so they can develop on it and customize it and change the type of vehicle from cars to SUVs to trucks to robo-taxis to shuttles. It's, uh, it's really the same challenge regardless of the type of vehicle. I've noticed, um, you know, obviously being a layperson on this, I've noticed maybe once a week or at least a few times a month uh, another robo-taxi, um, I don't want to say experiment, that's the wrong word, but another robo-taxi um, startup or uh, another city adopting uh, to uh, that kind of feature in their in their roadway system. So when you guys see that, are you three steps ahead of that already, or do you celebrate when you see another company um, you know, presenting it uh, to the public? Is that, a, is that a big deal for you guys, or did you already know about it three years ago? Well, um, we certainly celebrate it. Um, more times than not, they are one of our customers that we've not been able to publicly talk about, and they go public gotcha. with their information, and then we can talk about it. So I would gotcha. say virtually every um, robo-taxi company uses NVIDIA technology inside their vehicles. Um, sometimes they're prototypes. Like you said, it may be an experiment, but then you have companies like Cruise um, and Zooks that are building purpose-built robo-taxis from the ground up. Um, and we've been working with them for many, many years with this computer platform inside that's, that's critical. I would be uh, remiss in not asking how COVID, it's affected everybody's life, but in your world, um, you've had a couple of years now without having um, the company presentation and, and conferences in which people can attend. So how has that affected what you guys are doing and and if you could look into the future, will we be back um, in person next year? Mm-hmm. Well, I think there's a, a couple of different aspects. One, you mentioned the conference, and that's, that's sort of yeah. an obvious one. We used to have about 10,000 people um, would gather at the San Jose Convention Center for a week, and there's just amazing content sessions, presentations, it was great. demos, parties, right? And it was, it was educational. It was fun. Um, obviously, yes. we're not doing that this year, and, and we're in the midst of our, our fully digital event, um, and yes. it's grown 
tremendous. There's 200,000 people who have registered so far, and they can still continue to register this week and next at our website, NVIDIA.com. But um, the number of sessions has grown from several hundred to over 1,500. And so all the content, of course, is available on demand. People recorded their sessions at home, um, in their home studios. But um, the information is still there. It's key. The presentations, the learning is, is phenomenal. Um, we've had some digital social events. Um, in the past, we've always had something um, called Dinner with Strangers. So it's when you go to a oh, conference, yes. you might not know anybody. And so you can sign up based on topic area to join some people you don't know at a restaurant and have dinner and talk about whatever it is you want to talk about. It could be healthcare, it could be energy, it could be self-driving cars. So we've done a virtual dinner with strangers this year as well. So they get people to, to meet some new people and, and talk about what's interesting to them. Uh, and so the conference has, has really thrived. It's really been remarkable. We had the, the keynote um, was streamed live, and a, we, you know, our audience just increased, which was fantastic. The, the thing Great. that, of course, everyone's experienced is, is you know, the last year is working from home. NVIDIA shifted very early to this. As soon as um, things started to become unsafe in public, we, we closed our offices um, out of abundance of caution before it was mandated and quickly... Um, modified to this work-from-home uh, approach. Um, part of what NVIDIA does is um, remote graphics. And so that part of our business has thrived as more and more companies needed to be able to uh, enable their employees to work remotely and to do things um, where the data center is the processing point and your, your home laptop is then your portal into that data center. So we provide solutions for remote working um, the other thing we've done is with our development um, of our self-driving vehicles, we used to have pilots in the test vehicles, a driver and a co-pilot um, who was monitoring the driver as well as the systems for safety. And so we've been able to virtually have a co-pilot um, monitoring the systems because of our remote technology as well. So we've been doing a lot of development of our hardware and software during COVID, but also we can continue to test in the real world and use our drive sim software to test in the data center. So we're driving millions of miles in the cloud uh, to test, even though uh, people are still just working from home. I know, I know Bruce has one final question, but I wanted to thank you. I, I was forgetful and not mentioning the the website, um, nvidia.com and, and thanks for, um, reminding us that people can still sign up and, uh, you know, experience all these things that I forgot to mention. So thank you for that. But Bruce is going to wrap up the podcast. He has one more, one more question for you, Danny. Just one question about the, uh, when we attended the conference, I guess it was three years ago. Um, every, there's a lot of optimism there, a lot of collaboration, like you say, I mean, it was really a great conference, but we came away thinking that my goodness, self-driving cars were three months away. And, or the only thing holding them back were was really the cost of you know the the hardware on the vehicle sensors and whatnot. What would your guess be now? How many years out are we till a commercially viable many cars on the road autonomous? No, it's it's a tough question to to really answer, and because it's not, I would think a, impossible, a but <laughs> well, well, so there's so many factors, but. What we see is sure. a continuum. 
And the, so when you say self-driving, it really means many different things. There's the robo-taxi that you have an app and you push a button on your phone and this thing rolls up and there's no steering wheel or pedals and you get in and it just takes you where you want to go. So right. that's happening already in, a, in kind of tests and trials, but deployments are a couple years out for that. We have these self-driving trucks that, again, have safety drivers in them, and part of it is, is rules and regulations. There needs to be somebody monitoring, but these drivers aren't doing anything. And so, you know, talking about a fixed route that's been mapped and is in good weather, um, trucks are driving along these roads safer than, than humans, and that's happening today. Um, so legislation becomes a part of this equation um, to bring about a time where these trucks will drive maybe not through the city streets, but what's called hub to hub. So there'll be uh, a center um, where they'll drive from, from one location to another, and then they'll be unloaded, and the last mile delivery will take place with a human driver. But then there's also all kinds of last mile delivery, um, much smaller vehicles, more nimble vehicles, companies like Neuro, they're doing grocery and pizza delivery, and a number of other startups um, like Postmates, which has now served robotics, or even smaller vehicles that could be on the sidewalk, those are already um, rolling now. And so that's this, this kind of whole spectrum. Separate from passenger cars, which really have driver assistance features and lane keeping and adaptive cruise control, um, that will then grow and get smarter over time, like we talked about with Mercedes and Volvo and others. So you'll have a car that will be its base level when you buy it, and it will just get better and better through the software updates throughout its life. Okay, thank you. Fantastic. Uh, Danny, that's a great place to, uh, to not take up any more of your time. We appreciate um, uh, Danny Shapiro is the um, Senior Director of Automotive for NVIDIA. Um, I've learned a lot in the last 35, 40 minutes, and I can't wait to be more active um, in finding out, uh, you know, where we're going in, in this ever-changing world. So, Danny, thanks again for, for being our guest on the Weekly Driver Podcast. We very much appreciate it. And to the, our listeners, please visit the website, uh, nvidia.com, and you can uh, find out more about the, this wonderful world that we're, we're um, experiencing and it's changing every day. So thank you for being our guest. It's, it's my pleasure. And uh, we'll, when COVID's over, we'll take you for riding one of our cars. Fantastic. Perfect, yes. We're going to count on that. Thank you, Danny. Cheers. All right. All right, thank you. Bye-bye.